Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. Excited today that uh, I don't have to preach. No, um, I love preaching. Um, and uh, one of my favorite guys to listen to, though, um, is uh, the probably next to maybe the youngest guy in the room. Well, no, we got a few more younger than you. Not not too many younger than you, though, Josh. Uh, but full of full of mercy and wisdom and truth. And uh, he really walks with the Lord. We we share a mentoring time together where I learn as much as as I get. So. As I give, so I bless his name. And Josh is our uh, youth pastor here. He's been by my side for a long time since he was a little bitty boy. So, um, but we're so grateful to have him. And I just bless him and bless his ministry and uh, bless his fellowship with us. And ask you guys to give him a welcome as he comes. Well, good morning, everybody. And honestly, I was just like out of it. I was kind of taken back by the worship today, just because it fits really well with what I'm talking about today, but there's just something about being able to just declare to God, God, you are you are worthy because of what you've done for us. All right, I'm crying and I haven't even started yet. <laughs> All right. So today, um, the the message that I'm going to be Teaching is kind of a different one from anyone that I've taught before. And it's because it, it's really focusing on a journey that God has taken me over the past couple months. Because there, there have been some, uh, over the past even like up to a year, I, I've been like really trying to focus on God and put him as the center point of my life and live exactly the life that he wants me to live. And there were honestly some issues that I kept coming up against, and I couldn't figure out exactly what it was at first. And the, the more I did and dug into it, the more I realized that there were some kind of big theological issues that I couldn't wrap my head around, and I didn't understand how things worked. And I was honestly at one point questioning how some of the verses in the Bible can align together because it didn't seem like it made any sense. And luckily God was gracious enough to kind of walk me through all of that and explain that to me. But if any of you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Now, we're not going to get there for a little bit. I'm going to kind of do like rapid fire through some other verses first, but that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. So to, to kind of explain what was going on and the journey that God brought me through, it all revolved around suffering. And I'll kind of explain this using some of these verses that God had shown me. So, first off, there's a really popular verse that most anyone, if you've been in church for any period of your life, probably have heard this a couple times. And it's John chapter 10, verse 10. And it says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus' words. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
Now, this was a really interesting verse for me, and this actually became kind of like a life verse. And for any of you who have been here for a while, you know that I actually preached an entire sermon on this one verse because it, it just stuck with me so well. Because in another translation, it, it says that Jesus said, I've come to give them life and to give it more abundantly. And just to kind of give you a brief overview of what I talked about in that sermon, I, I dove into the words there and what like was actually being said there. And what Jesus was saying is that he came so that if anyone who would believe in him and follow him have a life that is filled with hope and joy and peace to the point where they can't even like measure how much is there. That is what he's promising. He said, that's the reason I came so that you could have an abundant life and a rich and satisfying life. So that became like a life verse for me, and I was like teaching on it all the time. I was like quoting it to myself. Whenever hard times came, I was just like, don't worry. God will give me a rich and satisfying life if I trust it. All right, so then another verse that goes along with this theme, Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now this is another really awesome, like encouraging verse. Seek God, trust in him, search after righteousness, and he will give you everything that you need. And I just want to point out, that's not just physical needs. That applies to emotional needs, spiritual needs, anything you could ever need. God will provide for you if you seek his kingdom above all else. Search after righteousness. All right, I have one more verse I want to share on this topic. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. And this is God speaking to Israel after Israel just messed up really bad, was in a lot of sin, and this is what God was telling them. So it says, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortune. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. So, guys can probably see a theme between all of these verses. All of them is God talking to people and saying, look, if you will trust in me and you will follow me, I'll take care of all of the details. I'll make sure that all of this stuff that you're going through is worthwhile and that you will be blessed. You, you will have an abundant life. I'll take care of all of your needs and I will make sure that you are on a path that prospers you. So I, I was studying through all of this and it, it just got me excited. Like, well, if that's the case, why wouldn't anyone want to be following God? Like the best thing ever. So I started like, just, I've made a real commitment that I'm going to do exactly what these pastors say. I'm going to search after God. I'm going to like do everything I can to live the way that he wants me to live. And so I started doing that. 
But then this, this is where kind of the conflict came in. Because I started living that way. I was doing everything I could to align myself exactly with what God wanted me to be. And I was realizing after a little while that I wasn't feeling like what these verses were saying were, was actually coming true. I didn't feel like I was being blessed. I didn't feel like I was filled with joy and hope and peace. And it got me really confused and really aggravated for a while because at first I was like, well, there must be something wrong with me. I must not be doing everything God wants me to do. So that was like searching through the Bible. I, I was asking God, okay, God, if there's any sin in me that needs to get, be gotten rid of, if there's anything you need me to do, just let me know so that I can have this type of life. I was searching and searching and just going and going and it wasn't seeming to work. And it honestly got me really discouraged. A couple of times I just wanted to give up because I'm like, I'm trying and nothing's changing. I don't feel any better. I don't feel like I'm getting all of these blessings that God was promising. So I want to read two more verses. And these kind of tell uh, the opposite side of this story. And this is something God started to point out to me during this part of my life. So in 2 Timothy 3.12, like I'm a very analytical person, so I love when there are just really long verses that just have tons of truth in it, and you can just like pick them all apart. But then I also love verses like this, where it's just really simple, really straight to the point, no interpretation needed. 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Doesn't get any clearer than that. If you want to follow God, you will suffer persecution. And First Peter four one says, "So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude He had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin." So you see, I, I'm reading these verses, and now I'm just getting really confused. Because I'm like, but God, you said that if we follow you, you'll give us an abundant life. But these verses say that if we follow you, you'll lead us into suffering. How do those two things come together? Like, you can't have a blessed life in suffering, can you? And I just could not understand that. And so finally, I I found the verse that we're going to be really digging into today. That is Philippians chapter 1. So, I want you to really pay attention to what this says, because this is really important. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. So this is the important part. If you have a Bible, like a physical Bible, I want you to underline this next verse. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Uh, Oh. But yeah, Philippians 1, 27 through 29 is what I just read. 29 is that last verse, okay? 
You have been given the privilege not only of trusting in God, but you've also been given the privilege of suffering for God. Now, this is something, I I read this verse, and I'm literally, like, I was sitting in my bed doing my Bible study one night, and I came across this, and I'm just sitting there like, how? Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Suffering isn't something that you enjoy, yet it says that it's a privilege that God gave us. So, uh, so I started doing some digging into this, and, and there are three words out of this that I want to cover that I really dug into as a really interesting application. So the first word is suffering. First off, I looked up what that meant and what, what the definition of it was. And what, what I ended up coming to the conclusion is that suffering is basically any situation that you would go into that you do not want to be in something that's uncomfortable, something that hurts, something that you do not like and you wish was not there. Now, suffering can be really big or really small. It could be that you've been captured by someone and you're being tortured for your faith. That's suffering. But also suffering could be you have a really bad cold. That's something that's annoying. It's something you don't want, but it's there. And all of it, suffering. So, that's suffering. Now, Look at the word privilege. Privilege is interesting because when I looked it up, it really can have have two meanings, and both of them are similar. But it all relates around you being given the opportunity to do something that others don't have. Like a, a, a like example of this that you hear a whole bunch in the news today is people talking about white privilege. How some people say that white people. Get a, are able to get jobs easier, they're able to get higher income, all that kind of stuff, much more than black people, because they are privileged, as they say. Now, it's just an example of how you use the word, but it it's also has another aspect to it. That sometimes when it's used, it's used not just to say you have this privilege, but you've been given this privilege even though you don't really deserve it. It would be as if there was a king who came up to you as just a regular person and was like, hey, I'd like to invite you to come and eat with me at my dinner table. Now, that's something you don't deserve because he's the king. You're just a regular person. But it's something that he gave to you even though you didn't deserve it. All right, here's the last word. And it is guilt. Because it doesn't just say we have the privilege. It says God gave us the privilege. And when I looked at that word, it's not just a regular like, oh, I have this thing, I give it to you. The actual word there means to graciously. Now, this is important because God didn't just say, oh, I guess you could have the privilege of suffering for me. That that connotation means that it's something that is both personal, that he knows that you need this, He knows that you would love this, so he can't wait to give it to you. And it also means that it's something that you don't deserve to have. Yet he gave it to you anyway. So, let's tie all of these words together. When it says that God has given us the privilege to suffer for him, it means that he knows that we need this, and we aren't even worthy of having the ability to suffer for him. Yet he gave it to us anyway. 
Now, why in the world would we want to have the privilege of suffering for God? Well, I want to give two kind of examples of how this plays out, and I'll kind of wrap it up and show you the big idea of how this all works. So the first one is someone I've talked about up here before, which is Joseph. Now, if any of you guys know the story of Joseph, you know that his life did not go exactly how he planned it to go. He was someone who was following God wholeheartedly, did everything that God said, and then still, when he was young, his brothers beat him up and threw him in a well because they hated him. And then later on, they pulled him out of the well and sold him into slavery and then told their father that he had been killed by wild animals. So now, thinking from Joseph's perspective, things just got really bad. And he's been following God. So I'm sure he had questions. Why in the world, God, would you let this happen to me? But yet he stayed faithful to God because he was sold into slavery into the household of the captain of the guard in Egypt. And he did, it literally says in the passage, he did everything exactly like God wanted him to. And because of that, God blessed him. God made everything he did, he did succeed. And he got put higher and higher and higher until he was finally over the entire household of the captain of the guard. And then the wife of the captain of the guard accuses him of trying to have an affair with her, even though he didn't. And then he gets thrown into prison. So again, things were going good. God was blessing him, still following God wholeheartedly, and boom, now he's in prison. And still, he's faithful to God. He, he still follows God completely, and because of that, he, the same exact thing happens. He gets put higher and higher until finally he's basically in charge of managing all of the prisoners in the prison. And then finally, the day comes, he spends two years in prison. So, I mean, he was in like the highest position overseeing everyone, but he's still a prisoner. He still has no freedom. He's still locked in the prison, still in suffering for two whole years until finally one day, God makes the Pharaoh have a dream that he can't explain. And through a series of events, uh, Joseph gets called up to explain the dream. And he explains the dream, tells him what the dream means. And because of that, God took him from being a prisoner to being the second in command of all of Egypt, literally in charge of everything in one afternoon. And because of that, it wasn't just a blessing on Joseph, but the dream was saying that there is this huge famine coming to the entire area around there, and that if they didn't prepare for it, everyone would starve. And so Joseph, in command, prepares for it, stores up so much grain, they literally can't even count it anymore. And then because of that, not only the nation of, of Egypt, but all of the surrounding nations were able to survive the famine that came. But, all be, but if Joseph had not gone through all of that suffering and gotten to that point, then all of them would have starved because there was no food left to eat. So that's one example. The other one is from one that one person that I'm sure all of you guys know very well, and it's Jesus himself. So if you look in Philippians down just a couple verses, in chapter 2, starting at verse 5, this is what it says about Jesus. Okay, it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, when I read this, just think about this whole situation from God's perspective, God the Father. Because it says that Jesus did this in obedience to God the Father. The Father told him that I want you to go down to earth. I know you're going to suffer all of this stuff, and it's going to be terrible, and you're going to have a terrible death, but I want you to do it. And Jesus did it out of obedience. But that got me thinking, what was God the Father thinking? Why would he willingly put his son through all of that suffering? And it's because he knew what was on the other side. He knew what the outcome of his suffering would be. And he knew how bad things would be if Jesus didn't go through all of that suffering. And imagine what our world would be like right now if Jesus had never come and died to pay for our sins. And God looked at the world and said, I love them so much that I'm willing to put my son through all of this. And Jesus looked at his father and said, I love you so much that I'm willing to do this no matter what. Even though it's terrible, I'll do this. So, how does this all connect? Well, it all comes down to one main idea. And this is how you live out this principle of considering suffering a privilege. And it comes down to being in a place where you are so thankful and grateful for what God has done for you, that you consider it an honor to be used by him in whatever way he chooses. Now, this is important because it says in, in that scripture, I've been focusing on the part where it says we have the privilege of suffering for God. But notice how before that it says we have the privilege of trusting in God as well. Now, why would it make a different a differentiation between that? It's because when we trust in God, we don't get to pick and choose what we want to be, how we want to be used by Him. When we trust in God, we say, "God, I want to be used by You. Now, You tell me where You want me to go." And God has the right to choose where we want to go. A great example of this. Let's go back to like a kingdom example. Imagine that you're just a regular person and the king comes to you and is like, hey, I, I have a job for you. I would like you to become my personal assistant. And for the next six months, I, you'll be coming and living in the palace with me and you'll be eating the same foods that I'm eating. You'll be living a lavish lifestyle and you'll get to work directly with me. Now, who here would say no to that offer? Honestly, it's like, That is so awesome. Yes, of course I'll do that. Now imagine if that same king came to you and was like, hey, I have a job for you. Uh, Right now, we've had some accidents, and and I need you to go and work in the mines for a little bit. I know it's not good pay, not good food. It's really a dangerous situation, and it's a lot of hard labor, but that's really where you're needed the most right now. Now, if you're in that situation, what would you say to the king? I'd be thinking, well, I, I, I have this life here. I, like, I, I can't just give it all up to go and work in the mines. Like, come on. And that's the same exact mentality that we put on God a lot of the time. 
And when God comes to you and he's like, all right, I have a mission for you. You are going to be this incredible evangelist. You are going to create this ministry that is changing hundreds of thousands of people's lives for the kingdom every single day. You're like, yes, God, I will do that. I will follow you. I'll do whatever you want. But then what if God comes to you and says, I want you to go over to this really far in the wilderness. There's this little church of 10 people. And I want you to go and serve there for the next 20 years of your life. And you're probably not going to see much spiritual growth. People are kind of stubborn. and But I just want you to go there and love on them and serve them for the next 20 years of your life. Now, all of us are willing to accept the first one. But the second one, we're like, well, God, I had, I had plans for my life. I was going to do great things for you. I was going to accomplish all of this incredible stuff. And you want me to go over there? Why would you send me there? But it all comes down to saying, God, I am so grateful. You gave everything for me. So I'm here. I'm willing. Use me. I don't care how you use me. I don't care where you put me. I don't care if you put me in great prosperity or great suffering. Just use me however you want me. And another kind of example of this, kind of funny thing, but it was something that God kind of corrected me on a couple of days ago. Because I, I was trying to work one day, and I was having some really bad allergy issues, and it was just really aggravating me, and I could I was like struggling to see, and I had a lot of work to get done. So then I, I prayed this prayer to God, and as soon as I finished, I realized how stupid I was. So I was like, okay, God, whatever your will is in this situation, I ask that it is done. But if it's possible, could you please get rid of these allergies so that I can do, do work for you more effectively? And then right after that, God stopped me, and I just realized that is completely two contradictory statements. God, do whatever you want, and God, please do what I want instead. <laughs> and, and we do this all the time. We're like, God, let your will be done in this. Whatever you want, I want. But if it's possible, could you please do it in the way that I want it to be done? I'm just telling you, we don't have the right to tell God how he can and how he can't use us. And when we get into suffering, a lot of Christians are like, well, God's abandoned me. Why would he lead me into this path? When the truth is, he knows that that suffering is right where you need to be. Because if you are not in that suffering, he will not be able to use you the way that he wants to in the future. So, I'm going to give kind of two points here of how you apply this to your life. How you get to the point where you can say honestly to God, use me however you want. And I, I was, like I said, I've been digging into this for a while and I, I just kept asking God, like, I understand this. I, I know that this is good, but how do you actually get to that point? There are two things he showed me. One of them that first off, you have to love God. You have to be a pl at a place where you are so thankful. And you realize how much you need God, and you just realize how much grace He shows you every single day. And if you aren't at that place where you are just 
amazingly grateful to God for everything he's done for you, then you're never going to be motivated to give back to him. But when you realize the price that he had to pay and everything that he does for you every single day that you don't even realize all of the grace he shows you all the time, that is when you start to get that motivation to say, I want to give back. God, you've given so much to me. I will do anything to give back to you. And the second point here, that you have to trust that God loves you. Because when you're in suffering, it can often feel like God abandoned you. But the truth is, that's never the case. God leads you into suffering because he loves you. And he knows that this is what you need to grow. So imagine that kingdom example I said a minute ago, where the king gives you those two options. Now imagine that you are the son of the king. And the king comes to you and says the same thing. Okay, I need you to go and work off in the mines for a little while. We really need some trouble there. I know it's not the, the most comfortable situation. I want you to go there. Now there's a difference when you're the son of the king. Because if you're just a regular person, then you could feel like, well, you're just expendable to the king. The king's like, well, we need help down there, so you go and do it without a second thought. But when you're the son, you realize that you matter. And he would never do anything to you to intentionally harm you because he loves you. That is our relationship with God. He wants to be our father. He wants to be have that close relationship with us. That's why Paul says in the Bible, we are able to call him Abba Father, which literally means daddy. Get to come to him as our daddy and realize he only wants the best for us. But as any parent knows, sometimes what's best for your child is not always what they want to do. Now think about that. When you go into situations that aren't fun, that are really aggravating, and you're wondering, God, why in the world would you do this to me? Just think and trust that God loves you, and he would never send you somewhere that would harm you or that would not bring you to a stronger and better place than where you started. And anyone here who has walked with God for a while, you know God does, like we don't grow in the times where everything's perfect. We grow in the times when things are hard and we have to trust God for every single day. So if God were to say, all right, you, you will never suffer again. Honestly, I don't want that life. Because... <laughs> If we never suffered, we would never realize how much we need God. We would never realize how loving he is to be there with us through all of it. Take us step by step through every step of it. So, that's the mindset that we're supposed to have. Be able to say, God, use me whatever. I am so thankful. I am so grateful. It would be such an honor to be used by you. Just tell me where you need me. No matter whether it's good, no matter whether it's bad, I don't care. Just use me however you want me. There's one more point that I want to cover before we go. 
And this is another thing God kind of taught me through this whole situation. And it's kind of like, while I was processing through some of this, I was thinking, well, why in the world would you want to like live a life that you know you're going to be suffering for God all the time? And it was actually through a conversation with Stan one time in one of those accountability sessions we had that he, he said something that really changed my perspective on this. Because I am very much a results-oriented person. I am like, like, for instance, a lot of you see me carry around that water jug all the time. And it's a gallon of water, and I make sure that I drink one of those every day. Now, I didn't used to do that, but I was all the time, I was really thirsty. Yeah, he's pointing out sometimes I drink two gallons a day. <laughs> I, I was really thirsty all the time. I was honestly like really foggy headed and just tired all the time. And so I started researching, and one of the things that came up was that it's probably because I'm not drinking enough water. So if I make sure to drink a gallon of water a day, then I will have enough water in my system that I won't be thirsty all the time, and my brain will be able to function a lot better because it has all the water in it. So I'm like, okay, I'll do this. I get the jug of water, I start using it, and I make sure I'm drinking a gallon a day. After a couple of days, I definitely was not feeling like super thirsty anymore, which was great. And a couple of days later, I was also feeling like my mind was much more clear. I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. Now, that's how my, my mind like thinks of things. It's like, okay, if I'm going to make a change in my life, what is the change? What is my goal out of it? And how long is it going to take me to get there? And then if I, get to, if I start on this process and I'm not reaching the goal, then my, brain starts to, my motivation starts to go away because I'm like, well, I'm doing all this work, but I'm not getting anything out of it. That's one of the reasons I got so discouraged when I was going through that time in my life where I was just following God and I wasn't seeing change. And the, the thing that Stan told me that changed my perspective is that we're, we're not really supposed to be following God just to get the rewards that he wants to give us. Because our reward for following God is the fact that God is right there with us the whole time. We've already received our reward because daily we get to sit in the presence of God. I'm telling you, that is way better than anything else that you could ever go for. And I've started recently that there is a habit that God kind of instilled in me a while back, and I had stopped it for a while, and I've gotten back into it now. But now, every morning, what I do is I get up, I read my Bible, I sit down and do some focused prayer time, and then after that, I'll go and I'll get a cup of coffee, and I'll go sit on my front porch, and we have a little like two-person swing on the front porch. And I'll sit in one of the seats, and then I'll just imagine God sitting right there next to me. And then I'll just spend half an hour just chatting with God. Don't have any agenda out of it. Like I've already had my prayer time in the morning where I asked for God to help me with all my needs. But that time is just for me to sit and enjoy being in the presence of God. And I'm telling you, I would never give that up for anything. And I'd be willing to go through any amount of suffering just to have the enjoyment of being So I hope that God is speaking to some of you today with this. Because it's so easy, especially in America, to get our minds around, well, what do we get out of our faith walk? What's the bonus that we get from it? Why would we go through all of this stuff? 
a lot of people come into Christianity and they hear the prosperity gospel, that everything is going to be great in their lives, and then they start doing it, and it doesn't turn out that way. And then they just get confused and discouraged, telling you that our goal of being Christian is not to make this life great. It is to enjoy the presence of God and to work and do what he wants so that other people can enjoy the presence. As I'm telling you, when you get to the point where you really just love to be in God's presence, you wouldn't want anyone to have to go with them. And that should be your motivation for telling people about the God. Not because you feel guilty if you're not, not just because God told you to, but because you don't want them to miss out on all of the great things that 